0: Hello! This is History Overlooked, and today I'm going to talk about my. I don't want to say favorite because I'm kind of sad about it, but what I think is one of the most interesting unknown stories about US American politics. But obviously, there could be more that are just unknown to me. So. Politico calls this, quote, the single most consequential vice presidential choice in modern history. And they are referring to the choice of Truman specifically over Henry Wallace. And before I describe the events, I think it's important that I point out how vice presidents were chosen at this point and that was through a convention it was not a presidential pick obviously the presidents had choice but this was there was a separate convention a separate vote of the people for the vice president And this occurred through an election at the convention that required two ballots. One was used to decide who would be the official candidates, and one was used to actually vote on those two candidates. And this all took place at the party convention. So, today's topic is the July 1944 Democratic Party Convention in Chicago. So to provide some background, it's important that I provide background on Henry Wallace, whose name might be one you haven't heard of before. Wallace was born and raised in Iowa. He attended Iowa State. His initial career was as an editor for a family farming newspaper, which was widely read and influential. And in 1921, when his father became Secretary of Agriculture, he gained the official position of editor-in-chief of this newspaper. His father had been a loyal Republican, but in 1928, he switched, Wallace switched party allegiance to the Democrats and supported Democrat Al Smith for president. In fact, this switch, because he was so widely known across Iowa, helped swing the state to the Democrat side in 1932, when FDR defeated Hoover to begin his first term. And Iowa got almost 60% of the votes, FDR got almost 60% of the votes in Iowa, even though the state was traditionally a Republican state. And FDR appointed Henry Wallace Secretary of Agriculture in 1933. So, now Wallace becomes FDR's vice president. And leaders of the Democratic Party never really liked Wallace, but FDR was fully behind him. The only way FDR got him on the ticket in the first place in 1940 was by threatening that he would decline the entire presidential nomination if Wallace wasn't on the ticket. So in 1942, Wallace gives the common man speech. And this speech was really important. It declared no economic imperialism and was really famous for a while. nazi counter-revolution will stop it the common man will smoke the hitler stooges out into the open in the united states in latin america and in india he will destroy their influence no Lavals, no mussolinis will be tolerated in a free world he calls for a worldwide in people's revolution and, and an powers. end to colonialism here on Earth. but It wasn't really received well across the Atlantic. Churchill even called spies on Wallace. And the Anglo-Saxon superiority in Churchill's approach would be offensive to many. (laughs) But Wallace was ahead of his time compared to where we are now. He was his general views were that he was committed to civil rights he was progressively liberal he asked for equal wages for equal work regardless of gender he was in favor of labor unions he spoke spanish fluently he advocated for all of these all of these issues that we're still talking about today but he did so In the 1940s the early 1940s he wanted a livable minimum wage he as I said was committed to civil rights in the 1940s 20 years before the movement the civil rights movement actually took place and his views were more progressive than what we see even today. He probably would have been more along the Bernie Sanders route than any of the other candidates or elected officials that we see along with probably Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others on that side. So despite not being the party leader's favorite he was the people's choice for the vice presidential nomination 57% of Democratic voters wanted him to succeed FDR. But because of all of his views, there was opposition within the party. They felt that Wallace was too liberal. So in March 1944, FDR was examined by a doctor at the request of his personal doctor. And they found that he was quote, a drawn, gray, and exhausted individual who became short of breath on the very slightest exertion. The examination of his eyes revealed some changes due to arteriosclerosis and hypertension. So at this point, people knew that FDR was dying, and party leaders knew that this meant that they needed to pick a vice president who could be president, who they wanted to be president, who they wanted to lead the nation. So they wanted a different candidate. They did not want Wallace. They wanted someone who was much more moderate because they knew whoever they picked for vice president would become president. So in comes James Jimmy Burns, and he was a senator then on Roosevelt's cabinet, and some views of his came to light that were not good, even in the 1940s. In general, just not good. Um, And the main ones were that he opposed anti-poll tax bills, meaning he wanted polling booths to be taxed. He also opposed anti-lynching bills. He changed his position later, but his original position was that lynching was an effective means to hold black men in the South in check. So not good. And finally, he also had converted from Catholicism, which was not looked favorably upon by all people. So, Four men who really were leading the charge to find a vice president they liked more than Wallace decided that Burns would not be a good candidate. So, though they had originally chosen Burns, they decide to look into Harry Truman, a senator from Missouri. Truman had really... Not very many qualifications besides the fact that he had been a county judge and was then a senator. He had only been been elected in nineteen thirty four, so he had served for six years as a senator. But he really didn't have any other qualifications, and that meant that he didn't have any enemies. So they choose Truman, who had been involved in three failed businesses and then was a current senator, and. These four people, who called themselves the conspiracy of the pure in heart, were Edwin Pauley, treasurer of the DNC, Robert Hannigan, Democratic National Chairman, Frank Walker, Postmaster General, and Edward Flynn, a political boss. And they were telling FDR that having Wallace as his vice president would split the party and that obviously wouldn't be good so they tried to find tactics to persuade fdr to switch his support from wallace to their new candidate but fdr at the same time had the advice of democratic progressives and liberals as well as his wife eleanor telling him to choose wallace So, he seemed to kind of be wavering about supporting Wallace and sent him to China right before he decided to whom he would give his support. So, Wallace comes back from China and FDR tells him, yes, I support you. You are my pick for vice president. So, now, we go to the convention and at the convention, you have multiple people vying for vice presidency But the main two, as you'll see, are Truman and Wallace. And we are back at KRUI-FM for the continuing History Overlooked episode. And it is time to hear about the convention. So the convention that I'm speaking about is 1944, July, Chicago. And all of these players are finally coming into play, and it is the big event. And it is time to figure out who will actually become vice president. So it was tradition, sort of, For a president, if he did support one candidate over the other, especially an incumbent vice president, to go to the national convention, and you still see this today, right? Any events where there's a vice president who's the main speaker, vice presidential candidate, I should say, who's the main speaker, or a presidential candidate who's the main speaker, their partner, their (laughs) opposite member will always show up, right? So... That means that like where events where biden went like talking about his campaign obama would usually would technically be there if it were something big like this right where it was actually about biden getting elected but more importantly in events where obama was speaking biden wouldn't always be there right because they're a partnership and it was very very important to see that president supporting the vice president or vice versa just to get all the supporters on board. And you still see this in other ways too, right? So Deidre DeGere, who is running for Secretary of State in Iowa, was, at, was in Iowa City campaigning. She held a rally, and she had Kamala Harris actually show up and support her. So having these big-name people show up in support of candidates is very, very important because it makes the lesser-known candidates more known, because it attaches a name to the person. However, Franklin Delano Roosevelt did not show up in support of Wallace, even though he was technically his choice. And this is mostly because he was too ill, right? He was in San Diego, he couldn't make it to Chicago because he was just too sick. And so he wrote a note in favor of Wallace, and this is not ideal because it doesn't carry the same weight, right? If you walk into a job interview and you have, and they've seen a letter of recommendation from the president or from a leader of a CEO or someone really important, the chief of surgery, then that's, that's really good. It's really cool. But Imagine if they walked in there with you. Imagine if they made time to speak to that interviewer to know how much they supported you. And they took time out of their day and they made a presence. It's just so much more influential and indicates way more support. So Roosevelt's letter didn't do much. And that is mostly because it was just a few words. He says... If I were a delegate at the convention, I would vote for Wallace, which indicates that he supports Wallace, but there's no enthusiasm in that note, and it eventually was labeled the kiss of death letter, and that's just because not only did Roosevelt show up, but his note didn't really have any inkling of enthusiasm or genuine support for Wallace. It was more of just a, yeah, i choose him, he's cool. So his Franklin Delano Roosevelt's presence in that convention room and his, and who he supported wasn't really prevalent, but thousands of people still came in support for Wallace, and notably, four years earlier, Wendell Wilkie, who had run against fDR, had Ascertained his nomination, his Republican presidential candidate nomination, mostly through having thousands of people, thousands of supporters stampede the Republican convention. And all of these, like thousands of people, really garnered a bunch of support among the delegates for Wilkie and made his name known. And that re- really influenced. People who are on the fence, people who might be uninformed, because you hear that name over and over and over, and when you go to vote for someone, you just think, "Oh, okay, like yeah, I'll choose him. Like I know who he is. I've heard of him." So the same thing almost happened with Wallace. Wallace had thousands and thousands of people show up in support for him, but it didn't quite work out the way you wanted it to, and I can show tell you some of that later so wallace was nominated right his name was thrown out on the floor and people knew that he was up as a candidate for the vice presidential nomination a man who in writing franklin delano roosevelt said If I were a delegate to this convention, I would vote for Henry A. Wallace. We want So that's a clip of actual media from the Democratic Convention, and you heard him talk it like mentioned that note from fdr right but more importantly you heard all of those people chanting for wallace and wallace actually had a song and i couldn't find it on the internet which is probably just because of my research abilities it is there is a clip of it in oliver stone's untold history of the united states which is a show on netflix that's kind of similar to what this radio show is but it's a song just for wallace it's like iowa iowa and they were singing that song at the convention so his name was definitely out there so we get to the vote right who supports whom how many candidates are on the floor and there were at least eight people who were whose names were being tossed in the hat so you had Wallace, right? Burns, who was that guy who definitely <laughs> shouldn't have been vice president or president just because of his really outlandish views. And there were there was Truman, who the Democratic Party leaders really wanted. And at that point, right before ballots started being cast, Wallace had 65 percent of the support from delegates 65 percent burns had three as i mentioned earlier and truman was in eighth place with only two percent support so then the democratic leaders realized that they're probably not going to get truman to be the candidate at that time And they were nervous about it. So they cheated. (laughs) They just straight up cheated. And what they did is they had a man, I believe it was, I I think it was Hannigan. It was one of the four people from the conspiracy of the pure in heart. One of the Democratic leaders. And they yelled out that there are too many people, there are too many people in this room, and it's a fire hazard. We can't vote, we can't conduct this convention, we can't conduct this nomination for the vice president because there are too many of you. And it's a fire hazard. And what what would happen if there were a fire to break out? So they called for an adjournment of the vote, to postpone the vote did not have it at that time, which definitely swayed the vote a lot because all of those thousands of people had showed up to support Wallace, right? If they would have taken that vote at that time, Wallace almost guaranteed vice presidential nomination. So in order to call for an adjournment, people have to say yay or nay, And there were a few people who said yay, and those were likely just Democratic leaders. If you read reports about what happened, you hear that just a few voices, it wasn't even like a group of people, just a few voices in the crowd said, yay, let's adjourn. But thousands of people, right, of all of those delegates that were there, yelled nay. I don't want... To adjourn the vote like we want to vote now like we're ready to support wallace we're ready to have wallace be our vice president but they didn't listen they heard those few yays, and so they called the adjournment even though the majority of the people there said no no don't want him and during the time of this adjournment right so right before They actually called for the adjournment, saying it's a fire hazard. We can't do this vote right now. There was a senator by the name of Claude Pepper from Florida. And he was also very, very progressive. He was probably one of the most, if not the most, progressive senator during that time. And he was on his way to the podium To put Wallace's name in official nomination, because you have to officially say, I nominate Henry A. Wallace as vice president, and then people have to say, like, I, I, I support, I second that. So he was on his way there, and if he would have done that, then that would have started the vote. But he didn't get there in time, because, because there were thousands of people. So he was shoving his way through when he couldn't get there, and if he would have gotten there, Henry would have been voted that night, but he didn't make it, and the adjournment was called, and the vote was postponed to the next day. And Samuel Jackson, actually, who did call for the official adjournment, said that he had strict instructions from Hannigan, and Hannigan is the Democratic National Chairman, to make sure that Wallace was not nominated that night. And the actual quote is, I had strict instructions from Hannigan, not to nominate the vice president that night. So, I'll be back in a couple minutes to tell you about what happened next, what happened that night, what happened the next day, and to tell you about how Truman actually came to be vice president and eventual president of the United States. So, after... The vote was called for adjournment. The people of the Democratic Party, those moderates, those centrists, those elites, went into action. They knew that the delegates supported Wallace and they had to take care of it because they had to make sure Truman became president instead of this left-leaning, progressive, crazy incumbent vice president. And that night, the night that the convention was supposed to have taken place, they, Edwin Pauly, and the rest of the conspiracy group made calls. They made calls, they met with people, and they cut deals. They offered positions like ambassadorships and cash payoffs. They literally paid these people to make sure that they didn't vote for wallace and they voted for truman they bribed they just straight up made tons and tons of bribes and i'm i don't know this is speculation but i'm sure that some of this does happen still in politics but we do have actual notes that that night all these people went into into action and they bribed delegates they bribed leaders they made sure that truman would get votes so they also called people right so most of those those cash payoffs those deals those positions that were offered were made to leaders right made to people with actual experience who would actually be good and like know what they're doing in those positions but they also called people. They called people and they said that FDR actually wanted Truman. FDR supports Truman, and Truman is the correct choice because that's what Roosevelt, this beloved leader, chooses. So the next day, voting begins, and they votes still begin to sway toward Wallace. They cast the first ballot, and there were four people on that ballot, and Wallace won. Wallace won that ballot. And I don't... It was 400-something to 319, I believe. 427 to 319. And then the second ballot began. And in the second ballot, it was just Truman versus Wallace, because those two were the leaders of the first ballot that was cast. However... Instead of allowing people time, allowing people to break, think about these candidates, right? Because some of their people had just gotten cut off. And if you know, if you've ever been to a caucus in Iowa for really any sort of nomination, not just presidential, but gubernatorial anyone, you first show who you are supporting, right? So that's what that first ballot was who supports whom. But then when your candidates get knocked off, there's a time for you to figure out who you now want to support because all of your energy had been supporting that one candidate and now you need to figure out which of the only two candidates left you are going to throw your support behind. So there should have been time between the first ballot and the second ballot for people to listen to positions, for people to become better informed about who Truman and Wallace are, what their policies are, and how they will act as vice president. However, that didn't happen. Someone in the Democratic Party, I think it was the chairman of the National Party, decided that the second ballot would begin immediately after those vo- those first votes were counted. So there were no new convention tickets that were passed, and they also barred thousands of Wallace supporters from coming in. So those thousands of supporters were left in the hall. So before people began actually shifting their votes, the ballot was 477 to 473 in favor of Truman, but Truman was only four votes ahead. But then people began shifting their vote. They began shifting and shifting and changing until the final ballot read Truman, 1,031 votes and Wallace, 105. So Wallace was over 900 votes below Truman. So that was the official vote. Truman, after... All of those <laughs> conspiratory events was elected as the Democratic vice presidential nominee for the election of 1944. And just so you know where all of these people ended up, I will give you a little tiny synopsis of their events, just important points. So... Burns, if you remember Burns, he was the initial pick for the Democratic Party's, not like the general public, but just the Democratic Party's choice for who they wanted to oppose Wallace. He became Truman's Secretary of State, actually. So this guy that people deemed was not good enough, didn't have the right views, and shouldn't be a face of the Democratic Party. As vice president or as president actually became part of the executive branch and the cabinet of truman as secretary of state which is fifth person in line for presidential succession should the president die and then he became the governor of south carolina and as the governor of south carolina He adamantly opposed school integration, which means he was in favor of having segregated schools, which sounds awful now. And like, obviously, I oppose it. But at that time, it wasn't super crazy, and which is why he probably was still elected as governor and still supported, just because it was in the 50s. So it was right before the civil rights movement really, really took place. But it still is something to... Note, and he also there, there was something with a cool, with the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK having violent responses to this, and he kind of didn't actively condone all of the KKK's responses. So that's Burns and Wallace, right? Henry A. Wallace, who I've been talking about this whole time became Truman's secretary of commerce. So, he didn't even he wasn't even as high up as Burns. He was just the secretary of commerce, and Truman actually eventually fired him. So, all of this obviously FDR died and these and then Truman became president. So, that's how these people became part of Truman's cabinet and not FDR's cabinet. But Truman fired Wallace after he publicly opposed wallace publicly opposed truman's cold war policies so throughout his term as secretary of commerce he was saying like truman is bad about this truman should not be advocating for these policies he's not making the right choices and truman eventually fired him so then in 1948 wallace ran against truman as the presidential nominee Of the Progressive Party. So instead of running within the Democratic Party, this new party called the Progressive Party rose up under the Communist Party that was the U.S. Communist Party that was kind of sort of prevalent. It was peeking through, bleeding into the U.S. society, the U.S. political atmosphere. But the Progressive Party was not part of the communist party, right? It was this own separate thing. They didn't run saying I am a communist, I'm a communist, but it was this new third party. And as you've seen people like Jill Stein try to run for a presidential election on a three on a third party ballot, you don't typically get the vote. You almost get none of the vote. It you just won't be elected if you run third party. But Wallace did anyway and obviously didn't get elected. So his career pretty much just fizzled from there. You never really hear about him anymore, didn't hear about him after that. But in 1952, he wrote an essay called Where I Was Wrong, talking about how he was naive about Stalin's crimes and the nature of the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union at that time was aggressive, they were dangerous, they hurt people, and so he said that he was naive about it and the nature of the Soviet Union as a whole, and as well as the USSR's international intentions. So he wrote this essay called Where I Was Wrong. So Truman, the vice president, Inaugurated in 1945, became inaugurated 82 days after, or became sworn in as president 82 days after his inauguration as vice president, because Roosevelt died 82 days after the inauguration. So Truman's sworn in, and he acts as president. He is literally president of the United States, and as president, he infamously made the decision to bomb japan with the atomic bomb bomb, right hiroshima and nagasaki even though he didn't know about the bomb when it was being built so when it was when this bomb was being built fdr was still president and fdr actually never told truman about it truman was not part of this this building this plan and, in fact, FDR was so upset that Truman was his vice president that they never talked. I don't know how many conversations they had, but it was somewhere between five to zero conversations between the vice president and the president. So Truman helped rebuild post-war Europe right he worked to contain communism through the efforts of the cold war which should have a containment strategy and he also at the end of his presidency led the us into the korean war which had a lot of its its own story but the truman did lead the us into the korean war so after all of this there are many questions to consider right many implications And what ifs? So I wonder, would there have even been a Cold War since Wallace sympathized with the Soviets? And that's a question that not really me, but most critics and most historians ask, because Wallace did not vehemently oppose soviets the ussr so that's very different from what truman believed and truman obviously did was like the leader of the cold war so then there's this question that if wallace had actually become vice president and then president would there have even been a cold war in the first place and then there's the idea that burns would have become the vice president and president because if they did not change if the democratic party leaders did not change their choice of burns to truman and they still cheated in the same ways they did burns might have instead become the vice president so then you have to wonder since he was a segregationist since he had these views on lynching and on um anti-poll and on poll taxes and all of these kind of not progressive ideas especially for a democrat how would the soon to occur civil rights movement had been influenced so they were on the cabinet all this was taking place in the 40s 1940s civil rights obviously came into play in the 60s but you wonder between burns and wallace How the civil rights would have been influenced because you have Burns on one hand who's a segregationist, right? He doesn't, he's just a racist. And then you have Wallace who's actively advocating for equal pay, for equal work, not just for, as you commonly hear it today, for women and men, but makes the point to say also for all races. So that no people of color should be paid below a white person. And he's advocating for integration, not segregation, for no prejudicial policies, no institutionalization that advocates that acts against people of color. Wallace is the picture of the of these policies that we are still actually being discussed today. So you have Truman in the middle who is actually president, but you have to wonder it could have whether it could have swayed either way whether the civil rights could have been completely different based on who would have been elected president who would have been become president in 1945 so then there's wallace and if wallace would have been president and he as i just said did advocate for all of these civil rights for these equal wages for equal work he also loved labor unions. He supported so many policies, just like pay raises, things that were that are being talked about right now. In addition, he supported federal support for education, right? So colleges, public universities, Wallace wanted the government to support these tuitions. He also really really wanted and advocated for national health insurance. So this is something that is probably one of the most popular platforms being put forth in today's election cycle, in today's political climate, talking about what would happen if we had universal health care, if we had national health insurance, if people were covered. And Wallace was so progressive that he was talking about this in the 40s. So it is really, really interesting to think about how, firstly, how This would have influenced what happened in the 40s and 50s and 60s and how and whether these policies would have been put into place. But also, you have to wonder what would happen if or what would be discussed today. What would be the platforms today if we already had all of this? Because we would be in a much different spot. So, those are all of the questions to consider. But then, in regards to, in direct regards to, the people involved in that convention and that entire process in 1944. But then you have people, or then you have the question of whether this is still occurring. Are Democratic Party leaders and Republican Party leaders still influencing who actually becomes not only vice presidential candidate, which really isn't the case anymore because the presidential candidate chooses who they want as their vice president, but notably, mostly the presidential candidate. So you see this within Republican Party, right? You had Trump, who was on the far right, and then you had all of these other people. You had Cruz, Rubio, and all of these other people, they were like 14, 17, something like that, Republican candidates going into the presidential caucuses and primaries, and you have to wonder whether these people were, whether the Democratic, or sorry, the Republican elites, Republican leaders were influencing who was actually elected. Although I don't believe that they did as much, I believe that Trump was truly Elected, And obviously that's just my opinion, but I do think that this did occur within the Democratic election cycle of 2016, mostly because you had pretty much the same situation, only for presidential candidates instead of vice presidential, as you had in 1944. You had Hillary Clinton, who was a moderate. She was pretty centrist in terms of her political leanings, her policies, her views, her ideals. And then you had Democratic candidate. He ran as a Democrat. He called himself an independent. He was a Democratic socialist, Bernie Sanders. And you've heard these names thrown around a lot if you pay attention to politics, but Sanders was very, very, and is very, very progressive. He advocates for the same things Wallace was advocating for. He advocates for labor unions, for equal pay for equal work, for more notice being paid to people of color. He advocates for national health care, for free public tuition, for colleges, and all of these things that Wallace was advocating for. And then you have Hillary Clinton, who is a little bit more conservative on all of those things. She doesn't advocate for national health care. She doesn't advocate for free college tuition. I think maybe for community colleges, but not for four-year universities and all of these things. And it seemed that the support was mostly for Sanders, but that obviously Clinton became the presidential candidate. So all of these things are important to pay attention to, no matter, obviously, if we're talking about Democratic leaders and the Democratic Party during this entire segment, but it is important to pay attention to any party that you're affiliated with and how the leaders within that party might influence the actual vote, might influence the public, to vote for who that small committee of people actually wants to become president. So as you go into this next election cycle, remember midterms elections are very important. And here in Iowa, we're voting for the gubernatorial candidates. So we have Fred Hubble and Kim Reynolds on the ticket. So all of this is happening on November 6th. Early voting is right now. Presidential elections for 2020 are starting to be talked about just as you listen to all of these things pay attention to take everything with a grain of salt pay attention to how party leaders might be influencing your vote your friends vote the general public's vote and make sure that things like this things like the 1944 election convention don't happen again so that is it for today's show History Overlooked will be back next Sunday at 11 a.m. to teach you some more History Overlooked that you might want to take a listen to. So my name is Zoe. I've been your host for today, and we'll see you next week.